Welcome to Revitalized Kindness, where we give perspective to what kindness can look like in our culture today. Kindness is still present in our daily lives, however, it is becoming more and more difficult to see. Ultimately, kindness has the power not only to change a life, but the world. Please join Dave Weaver as he talks about how when our culture and kindness collide, it can be a very powerful thing. Let's go. Welcome to Revitalize Kindness Podcast, where we believe that kindness has the power to change the world. I'm your host, Dave Weaver, and welcome to this episode of the podcast. The uh, title of the podcast today is Don't Desensitize, Revitalize, The Quest to Save Kindness. All right, so this is, we are on a quest, and we're on this journey together as we talk a little bit about this in the podcast and also check us out um, also on the Facebook page that we have the business page if you will just come and check us out there then you can see all the stuff that we're saying and all of those I'm going to read you actually a couple posts tonight Um, some really have no significance uh, in terms of um, future episodes or previous episodes some of these do, though. I mean, and, and it's not maybe super clear as you look through the post, but some of these are posts that are leading up to a, a podcast that we haven't just quite, um, we haven't launched yet. So um, one of the most recent posts is, um, and is a nice little tranquil scene of the purple sky and, and the water there looks really nice, and it says, There is calmness and beauty in kindness. And that's Revitalized Kindness Podcast at the end there. And then one of the, uh, another one recently said, Take a vacation from impoliteness. Be kind. Like that. Um, uh, not too long ago, and we've said this on one of the, uh, and I whistled there, I think you, you heard that. With, that was my teeth, by the way. Um, so we we recently posted together we create a kindness culture revitalize kindness and we have talked about that on the podcast um, not too long ago um, you know a lot of posts about the the launch of the podcast on there um, and and one of the ones I'm kind of proud of this one a little bit um, my wife she really liked it she she thought I grabbed it from somewhere and she asked me did I did I make that up and I said, yeah, I'm, I'm, somehow I made that up. I, I don't know how I come up with things like this. But anyway, this one says humankind, period, human being, period. Being kind is being human. I like that. Okay. So just look through there. Uh, we would love for you to join us again on the Facebook uh, page where, again, you can keep up with the podcast. Uh, any special bonus episodes we will definitely be um, – advertising those there um it's a community uh we want to treat it as such so if you want to anytime please comment give us some feedback there is a place on the page actually where you can send us a message so please give us some feedback in that way if you if you don't want to comment on in the particular post but yeah just just get involved in that way and that'd be great as we help create a kindness culture and so we can do that together, and there we go. So again, 
Today's episode is Don't Desensitize, Revitalize, The Quest to Save Kindness. Now, this the first part of that title is actually something that I, part of something that I say at the end of the each episode, and I know we've only got a few so far, so you may not have, may or may not have caught that, but I'll say, remember, don't desensitize, revitalize. And so what I'd like to do um, on this particular episode is just explain that. And we may do that every once in a while as we add things into the podcast or secretly put things in there. Um, not really secretly, but you, you, you know what I'm saying. Um, we may go into explain. We may go to explaining those things with you. So that's what we're going to do today. Don't desensitize, revitalize. What do I mean by that? And and as always, the quest to save kindness. So what does desensitize mean? Most of us probably have an idea. There's a couple definitions that I did pull, so I'll read those. Um, these two definitions definitely are, I think, applicable to what we're going to be talking about today. There's uh, maybe one or two other definitions you could take uh, when you're looking at the word desensitized. Um, the first one, I will... It says, having been made less sensitive. Um, now, the example they give is desensitized taste buds. Uh, not really what we're talking about today. Not taste buds, at least. But we are talking about having been made less sensitive in some way. Maybe just not taste. And then another definition we have here is, having been made less likely to feel shock or distress at a scene of cruelty or suffering by overexposure to such images. Hmm, imagine that. Overexposure. So, I can imagine, as you can imagine, <laughs> we're all imagining right now, um, but I can imagine that a lot of us have exposure to these things via, I mean, not only the television. So, it used to be in my day that maybe the television or a movie was the only place that you had uh, to worry about any exposure to um, any shocking things that you might see. You know, and shock back then would have been probably a horror movie, most likely, or maybe the news. Um, uh, but yeah, like a horror movie, like Halloween, like Mike Myers or something like that. And so, but today we have the internet, um, and, and not only do we have the internet, but now we have social media, and we are a we are a news machine. It's not only um, the job of the media anymore, uh, but it seems to be somehow we have taken that on as a voluntarily, uh, voluntarily, uh, or however you want to say that. We do the news and we don't get paid for it. So we're voluntarily doing what um, some of the other networks sometimes do okay maybe not always doing they they don't they don't always do a good job but anyway um so that's that's it you know we are that second definition i think probably is going to fit what we're talking about a little bit better and again that's having been made less likely to feel shock or distress at a scene of cruelty or suffering by the overexposure of such images so what is a constant cycle of violent news doing to us all right, so let's look at that first. Then this part right here is actually coming from an article, and I'm going to place these links um, in the order that I talk about the stuff that I'm going to be mentioning. Um, this one is going to be um, the link 
www.nynorktimes.com. So you'll see that. I'm just going to read a snippet of it. And uh, bear with me while I do that. But again, this is called, What is a Constant Cycle of Violent News Doing to Us? Question mark. And so here we go. It depends on, and this is from the article, it depends on the individual, but living in a digitally linked world where broadcasts are, are viol- of, of violence are instantaneous and almost commonplace means that many of us are becoming desensitized. Okay? Um and a team of researchers also in this article at uh, now that first thing that I read that is coming from Anita I'm going to mess this name up I know and I apologize Anita uh, Gadhia Smith and that's a hyphenated name she's a psychologist in Washington the second one that I'm reading here from that article says a team of researchers at the University of Bradford in England told a British psychologist psych- uh, a British psychology conference last year. And by the way, this would have been for last year for this would have been 2015. This article looks like it was in July of 2016. So almost exactly four years ago. Um, well, based on the time I'm recording this anyways, uh, <laughs> just thought about that. Well, maybe you won't hear this until August. So I could be lying to you. Um, and I'm, I'm doing this because I'm trying to find my place. So let me just start where, uh, let me just start over, actually, because I am i can't remember where I was. A team of researchers at the University of Bradford in England told a British psychology conference last year that the exposure to violent imagery on social media can cause symptoms that are similar to post-traumatic stress disorder. What? PTSD, as we know it, and they define it as a, Define that as a persistent emotional reaction to a traumatic event that severely impairs one's life. And that's what PTSD is. They define that in the article there. Um, but, yeah, that's that's pretty extreme. Um, really would have had no – and, and we, when we think of PTSD, we think of someone typically that has been in, you know, been in war um, or – or had some other traumatic uh, event. There's there's so th- many things that can happen that can cause that. Um, but I think that's pretty extreme. And I'm not saying that that's not true by saying that. But it it's interesting, though, um, what kind of impact these images are having on us. And I don't know that we really have a full scope of it or understand it ourselves because I think we get so, we honestly, just get so wrapped up into our lives into into um all of the the social media the stories the um the feeds the (laughs) the statuses and all those things that i don't know that we have taken time to really recognize maybe what's happening um now when i was thinking about uh you know basically um Going back to the definition, when I when I'm thinking about um, less like less likely to feel shock um, over overexposure or being made less sensitive to things, and thinking about that, I I thought that uh, it sounded to me a little bit about apathy because I had a conversation with someone um, several months ago, probably just before COVID nineteen hit us. And uh, we were fully aware of what was going on there. We actually, uh, 
had a conversation with somebody, a good friend of mine, um, that um, hopefully will be on the show or we'll get to interview him at some point because he did some pretty amazing work in town with the homeless and he is now working on a book so there's a lot of cool stuff going on with him and and i'll we'll talk more about him later but we had this conversation about apathy and how that affected the um the efforts to help the homeless and things of that nature um and 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 i think it's you know we don't we're not making a connection there um, and sometimes when you think about not making a connection, I'm just wondering if that's, does it have anything to do with being, um, you know, less, uh, feeling, you know, no real shock or, or the emotions that we maybe should feel or less sensitive to things so we don't make a connection to it. So that's kind of the pattern or where my, my mind was going with that. And so I found this really quick thing here that just kind of gave you, like, what is the differences or what's the similarities between apathy and desensitization or desensitization? I can't even say it now. Desensitized or desensitization, maybe that's what I'm trying to say there. Sorry. Um, but it says this for clarification of what apathy is, it is a state of desensitization uh, where subjects seem to strongly lack in, in observable moods. Um, and have severely dampened feelings and or emotions. So apathy is a state of indifference, and now they're defining it. Apathy is a, is a state of indifference or the suppression of emotions such as concern, excitement, motivation, and or passion. So definitely some similarities there. So on that on that trail as I was heading heading that way, I did come across this article. I want to read a, a snippet of this. I'm just right now, we just want to give some context to what, or right now we're just pushing some content into this, and then we want to hopefully circle back around to to kindness and what, what does this all mean for, for kindness. Um, now, this is an article. Again, a link will be there for you. For this, and it's called "Is Apathy Our Greatest Problem?" Now, um, I'm going to be reading an excerpt from this of of an excerpt, really. And what I mean by that, it's an article, but they've got in here a a story, or excuse me, a paper or essay that was written from a a looks like a grade ten student. It's the way they write it here, Rundle College Senior High School in Calgary. It sounds like so. We're talking about Canada here. But it is in a contest um, called Right the Wrong. And Right the Wrong is spelled W-R-I-T-E, not R-I-G-H-T. So Right the Wrong contest. And that theme, or the theme for them on this particular year, um, and this was from 2011, this essay was, um, was, let me find it. So this year's the, the, the question that they had that year and that they had to write about or write an essay was this. What is the single largest problem that we face today and what do youth need to do to fix it? So here's uh, this excerpt that is from this student, okay? I think the student's name is Briel Cram, okay? Briel Cram. All right, so it says this. In the words of Helen Keller, 
Science may have found a cure for most evils, but it has found no remedy for the worst of them all, the apathy of human beings. Now, this is, she's quoting brainy quotes there for that Helen Keller uh, quote, and she goes on to say, apathy is defined by dictionary.com as indifference or the lack of interest, concern, or emotion as in action when action is called for. And that's in action, I-N-A-C-T, you know, in action. Uh, when action is called for, apathy is when people don't care or when they feel so helpless that they do not try to change or fix things. All right, this is, this is powerful. I like this. I can see why she won. She goes on to say, apathy is the single largest problem we face today because it is apathy that fuels the vast number of social, political, economic, and environmental, and I am going to add kindness problems facing society today. I added kindness in there. And the, the last thing I have here in this or, or this uh, essay she wrote, she writes, apathy can be seen every day by, er, by people everywhere just by going to school, by reading the newspaper, or listening um, to the news. And, man, is she so right. Is she, she is right on with what she's saying there. Um, I mean, it's just a powerful thing because she's right. Apathy is defined. So, lack of interest, first of all, for concern or emotions towards things um, uh, where action might be called for. And then she says, again, I'm going to read it one more time. Apathy is when people don't care or when they feel so helpless that they do not try to change or fix things. That, look, I'm not saying that's exactly where we are because obviously we could go to, or we could show many examples where thing, people are trying to fix things. Absolutely. But we do have, I think we do still have the problem. It doesn't negate the problem um, because we can have both. We, we can have a sector of people that obviously are going to help. Um, they're going to volunteer. They're going to dig right in and see where they can um, um, help others. And, and, and they're going to do it in different ways. They may go through an organization. They may just do that with their family or their friends or their neighbors, um, maybe through a church. Um, and, you know, there's just so many ways that I think we are helping people. Um, but I think this next article that I want to read, I think will be interesting to you. Um, Because this psychologist says this, um, he says, why do we ignore mass atrocities? Okay, so I think, you know, I think it's clear and I think it's a little bit more clearer um, and probably a little easier for the majority of us to think of examples where we've helped somebody that we know, like an individual. uh, And again, it could be friend, somebody at work or, or whatever the case is. Now, in this article, in this article, excuse me, um, this is what they're saying. I'm going to kind of ad-lib through some of this. And again, the link's going to be there, so you can read this whole article verbatim if it interests you. And um, it starts out by talking about there's 65.3 million people displaced from their homes worldwide. 
This is according to the United Nations report. All right. It, that's at an all-time high according to when this article is written. I'm not sure. I don't have that in front of me right this moment. But it just says to think about this number, 65.3 million people. Now, that's a lot of people. Now, can you really imagine 63 or 65.3 million people? You know, can you? Because um, when we see, and it says this, when we see one life, we can imagine their hopes and pains. But, it, you know, when we're talking about 65.3 million people, I mean, can we really imagine each and every one of them, yeah, you know, uh, their their pains, their losses, their 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 grief, their 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 immediate needs, and all of that, um, you know, because we're all unique, um, and so there's probably some unique needs and different feelings and different things. So it's really hard to sometimes it's a little overwhelming um, if you think about it, because again, you can have a pretty good grip on you know where where your friends at with something or a family member or somebody at work or at your church and you may have a good idea what their needs are and so it may be easy to to really um uh get a better focus on that um but anyway the the article goes on to say it's um let's see there's a hard limit to human compassion, and it's one of the most powerful psychological forces shaping the events, uh, shaping human events, excuse me. Um, now, the person writing this article says this, I, I often report on political psychology, and in my conversations with scientists, I often ask this question. So as they do this reporting with political uh, psychology and with scientists, they say this, or they ask this rather, um, what research helps you understand what's going on in the world? All right, and so the answer that they get, uh, that there's, this person says is they very often involves Paul Slavic. Okay, um, I had him pulled up, but you can look him up. Um, in short, he's a psychologist at the University of Oregon, and for decades he's been asking the question and here's the question why do the why does the world often ignore mass atrocities and mass suffering and and the last thing i've got here from this article says slavic's work has shown that human that the human mind is not very good at thinking about and empathizing with millions or billions of individuals so, I mean, potentially then from that research, it kind of sounds like we're just not equipped um, to think. Um, um, let's see, how does it say it? Empathize and think about millions, billions at a time. Again, I think it's more natural for us to think um, through and empathize, empathize, emphasize, or em- you know what I'm saying. I can't, I'm tongue tied now, I think. But it's hard to do that with um, have any sort of empathy with millions of beings. Now, maybe generally you can, but again, maybe we miss something there. Um, so all that to say, um, just a lot of food for thought, really, when it comes down to thinking through and thinking about desensitization or desensitize. And what I mean, though, let's go back to the title again. Don't desensitize, revitalize. What I'm all this to say, okay, you're like, okay, where is he going with this? Finally, that was a lot, I know. Anyway, links are there. If you can read them, if you like to read, um, check those out. Um, 
So when I, when I say this, though, what I mean is this. I think we need to guard ourselves because I think if we're not careful in the environment that we're in with social media and everything, I think we're, we're if we're not already partially there, we're going to get to the point where we just don't care about people at all. Um, and I think we're almost there because of how we talk to each other. I mean, go back to social media and think about some of the things I've already said on these podcasts. We, we just don't talk to each other very nicely. Um, we care more about what we've got to say than what anyone else has to say. It's me, me, me. It's a me culture. Um, it's a, it is a, uh, it's not only a me culture, but it is a, um, a cancel culture. I just watched, um, my man, I can't forget, what's his name? Terry. Um, I, it, it may come to me. Um. I just seen some. I was talking about the cancel culture, and um, let me let me look at it. It is this going to bother me? And, and if I don't tell you, it is really y'all. Y'all don't know me, and um, well, some of you may actually. Y'all may know me. Uh, Terry Crews. There we go. Could not get his name. So Terry Crews was recently on a he had an interview over some things that he said, and. He's getting backlash just like anyone else that might say anything about um, some very sensitive subjects that we have today, like Black Lives Matters and, and things like that. Um, but it, I think he feels, even he, him, being a, a black man, an African-American, he, he feels that he is getting canceled sometimes in some ways because people try to shut him down. And, and don't want him talking and don't want him to have his own opinion. And so we've talked about that, too, just having your own opinion. It's okay. It's okay to have your own opinion, right? Um, I think, well, we got to be careful. we got to be careful about the attacks. We attack people. We're quick to do that. Um, and then, again, the, I think the more we, we um, besides all of that, the more we expose ourselves to all of these things, it's not good. I mean, we're putting ourselves, we're setting ourselves up for failure every morning. I, I do believe that. I, I heard someone talking about that the other day. They said the first hour of you waking up, don't touch your phone. Don't touch it. Don't look at it because you, you're going to roll over. You're going to pick it up and you're going to look at the scroll. You're going to start scrolling. You're going to look at the feed and, uh, you're going to get mad. You're going to get upset. You're going to feel like you need to respond. You're going to, your anxiety is going to build and you haven't even had a McMuffin or anything yet. I'm serious. I mean, we, we got to allow ourselves some time to, to really, you know, get, let's get our day ready with, with a little bit of peace. I think we're better off if we do that. Um, and I'm not here to tell you what to do, but I'm just saying, I think we, do a disservice to ourselves and others really with uh, not only the way we talk to each other through social media, but for people like myself that, that get um, a little discouraged by it, I think that uh, sometimes it's best for me to just leave it alone, you know? I don't think there's one answer to the, to the question of how do we save kindness. We talk about it a lot. In, in the show and through social media. Um, so kindness has the, the power to save the world. I really 
truly believe if we were kind to one another, it, we would have a better world. I don't know that it would save the world necessarily, but I think we would have a better world. Um, so I guess that's the thing we take away today. Just think through this, please. Um, make some considerations. Maybe we change our schedule. Maybe we change our schedule with social media. Maybe we change the way that we talk to each other on social media. And let's try to prevent ourselves from getting to the point where things don't bother us anymore to the point that we are not willing to help each other. In all of us, in our Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of the podcast. Mr. Rogers once said, knowing that we can be loved exactly as we are gives us all the best opportunity for growing into the healthiest of people. Such good advice. Guys, just be kind to each other throughout the week um, and be kind to us. Go ahead and rate the podcast. Let us help us grow so that others can hear us too. And uh, that'll give us more of a voice. And that's what we're looking to do here, guys. So thank you so much again. And remember, don't desensitize, revitalize. Until next time, keep it kind. I really like kindness because it helps people.